0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So we titled uh, today's sermon, Downside Up which is a little bit like upside down, but it's different. Because when you say something's upside down, you're still focusing on what's typically up, right? You're still focusing on what's typically in control, what typically has the, has the privilege. And so to title it Downside Up is doing exactly what we hope it will do, which is to focus on those who typically are on the bottom. So the clear mystery today is that the very heart of the gospel and that is, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that the greatest among you is not the one who leads, but the one who serves. Now, when I hear a text like this, I think certain things. And you'll, you'll remember what I do for a living, right? So, in a way, I am a professional Pharisee. <laughs> you know, I teach at a university, and occasionally we wear long robes, right, at graduation and things. And uh, we get called by our titles, like you all call me Robbie, but at the college, the students don't call me Robbie, they call me Dr. Whatell. And so like I'm, I'm called by a title, I sometimes wear a robe, I get, I get picked out in, the, in marketplaces or on El Prado, which is the kind of the main kind of pedestrian fair uh, that kind of connects the north and south end of campus. And so I hear texts like this, and I'm like, oh my... <laughs> Help me, Lord. (laughs) But it's a message that we need to hear, and it's a message that I think we do hear occasionally, but we need to be reminded that our God is not the God of the Egyptian Pharaoh. Our God is the God of the Hebrew slave. And as the God of the Hebrew slaves, he came with a message, and that message was one of liberation, to set the captives free. Isaiah had prophesied that this is what the Messiah would be like. And then Jesus, in his own life, would quote Isaiah and say, this is that, right? This is the acceptable year of the Lord. Now is the time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bind up the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind and release to the captive. And that's the message. I loved that that second song that we sang, um, Simple Kingdom. I love the words to that. And in some ways, that message of that song, Simple Kingdom, is really at the very heart of this whole series on clear mysteries. The third verse says, Your kingdom is backwards, it flows in reverse. And I think that's exactly how the kingdom of God works. And that's kind of what makes it a mystery, is that it's not how we think it would function. Christianity, as you know, kind of began in a, in a remote part of the world, with an ethnic minority who were kind of oppressed by the majority, and from that it started to grow, and because uh, it started in a place where the the typical, the richer the royals would not have, it kind of gave access to others. At the beginning of the 20th century, there was a revival in Los Angeles, um, and it was led by Uh, evangelist named William Seymour and it kind of gave birth to the modern kind of Pentecostal movement in the United States. And it started in a building like a a warehouse, a delivery stable actually that had been kind of converted. And one of the things that Seymour would say is he's quite confident that maybe the reason it had started there was that everybody could have access to it. Because he says if it had started kind of uptown at one of the nice churches, then a, a lot of the poor folks in particular, he was, he was black, he would say a lot of the black folks wouldn't have had access to this. And he, and he made this connection between that revival and the fact that it started in this kind of converted stable to the fact that the very heart of our gospel, Jesus Christ, kind of also starts in a stable, right? Jesus isn't born in a palace, Right? He's born kind of amongst the animals. The first to kind of uh, see him that night of his birth were not kind of um, the powerful and the rich, but the shepherds. And by starting there, we have, he, we have this idea that this is, again, access for everyone. It's exactly in keeping with what we might have expected if we slowed down enough and realized, again, that the God... In the Old Testament, was not the God of the Egyptian Pharaoh, but again, as I said, the God of the Hebrew slave. Later, Christianity uh, would have a major event early on, the first couple of centuries, when Constantine, the Roman emperor, would be converted. And this is a debated, it's debated whether or not that was mostly good or mostly bad for Christianity. On the one hand, it seems to be good because if the emperor is Christian, then, you know, the the power, the dominant are Christian and will no longer be persecuted or no longer be shunned. But then the problem is, once Christianity occupies that center, it kind of loses its voice to be kind of a prophetic call to repentance. Because if Christianity, as it typically functions, can kind of speak to the culture and say, don't follow that way, right? Don't follow the way of kind of money or consumerism or power or the service of self, but rather follow this way, right? Follow Christ's way, the, the downside up kind of kingdom, right? His, the kingdom that flows in reverse, the kingdom that the, the blessed are not the rich, but the poor, the blessed are not the joyful, but the mournful, right? It's difficult to maintain that critical voice when you occupy the center of the status quo. Now, I do want to say that we probably shouldn't um, be too dismissive of of Constantine. Some people say he was just trying to do something politically and he wasn't personally kind of convicted to these things. But I I don't know that we can say all those things. His mother seemed very devout and kind of used his resources to do a lot of things for Christianity. Constantine himself would move his capital from Rome and Italy to, um, well, it was called Byzantium. It's Istanbul now, but it was called Byzantium at the time, right at the crossroads of Asia and Europe. And he renamed the city after himself. So it says something about himself, I guess. But he renamed the city Constantinople. But amongst the things that Constantine did in his new capital is that he didn't build a Colosseum. That's interesting. That was such a part of the Roman culture. And so to have the capital without a Colosseum is kind of to, to offer a, a new way of kind of being in the world, one that's less violent, right, at the Colosseum. People would kind of fight to the death. And so there is no Colosseum in, in Constantinople. And you can see that Constantine, maybe he's not doing everything that could have been done, but it, it's, not, it's not like he didn't do anything to kind of improve the way forward. But when we, mix, when we mix kind of power with faith, we, we always kind of run the risk of, of kind of corrupting our commitment, right? It's hard to maintain a commitment to this kind of downside up, kind of backwards kingdom. I mean, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew opens in his first sermon. Jesus is talking about, you know, the, the, we call them the Beatitudes, that all these people are blessed right, you're you're blessed if you're poor in spirit, you're blessed if you're mourning, you're blessed if you're hungry and thirsting for justice, you're blessed if you're a peacemaker, you're blessed if you're persecuted, and we've laughed about it before, like Jesus, you keep using this word blessed, I don't think it means what you think it means, like I know what it means to be blessed, it's blessed, like if, if you go to your mailbox and you pull out an envelope and it's full of cash, that's a blessing, if you go there and you pull out an envelope and it's a bill saying, hey, we have we miscalculated how much you owe. You owe us more. That's not a blessing. <laughs> right? We know how it's supposed to work. But it's interesting. I think we're supposed to understand that not that you're blessed because you're in that situation, but Jesus is blessing the people who are in that situation. He's in the position to be the blesser. And he's blessing them and he's t- telling them that they too are in this kingdom. So if you're sad, if you're hurt, if you struggle, you, you're, you're welcomed in. And he's going to feed you, and he's going to welcome you to the table, and he's going to forgive you. Now, it takes a little bit of a literary eye, but the, the Matthew is divided into five major sections. Uh, largely because I think Matthew is comparing Jesus to Moses. Um, Very quickly, you know, Moses came out of Egypt. Matthew is the only gospel to tell us about the Holy Family escaping to Egypt. So now that Jesus also comes up out of Egypt, Moses goes through the Red Sea. Jesus gets baptized. After the Red Sea, Moses goes into the wilderness for 40 years. After Jesus' baptism, he goes into the Judean wilderness for 40 days. Um, Moses, after the 40 years in the wilderness, kind of divides the group up into 12 tribes. After Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness, he appoints 12 disciples. Moses is known as the kind of the the curator of the Torah or the Pentateuch. uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five books. Then when Matthew organizes his gospel about Jesus, there are five collections of teachings. Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 Matthew 10, Matthew 13, Matthew 18, and Matthew 24 and 25. And so, in a way, Matthew's gospel has five books of Jesus. Every time Moses had something important to say, he would go up on a mountain. Jesus kind of goes up on the mountain. It's a sermon on the mount. It's the mount of transfiguration. It's the mount of ascension. Uh, Matthew is presenting us Jesus and telling us he is a new and better Moses. That's that's consistent. And Moses was a deliverer. Moses doesn't say to Pharaoh, hey, it would be really good if we could improve the working conditions of these slaves. Maybe give them some more breaks, provide more water. You keep saying more bricks and less straw. How about some more straw so we can make some bricks? He's not negotiating in those ways. He's saying, let my people go. This is unjust that's exactly what Jesus does, except now he comes, and he's not just declaring to Pharaoh, let my people go. He's declaring to sin and death, let my people go. And he's providing us a new way, but the new way, again, is a way unlike any we might expect. Because again, it's a backwards kingdom. It's a downside up kingdom. Again, in that idea of the, the storyline, he opens up with these Uh, in the first book, so to speak, of Jesus, he has all these blessings. And in the last book, the one that we're in, this text kind of begins it. Um, He has his warnings, kind of woe to you. And you're like, oh, well, here it comes now. Luke does something similar, but Luke doesn't do it exactly the same way. He stacks them all together. Blessing, 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 warning, warning, warning. And amongst the things they both warn us about is they they warn us if everyone speaks well of you, like whoa, watch out, be careful if everyone speaks well of you, because the, the false prophets did that. They kind of didn't always speak the truth, and so they would say things just to kind of get along and kind of move move, move ahead, and and that that's that's a dangerous position. If if everyone speaks well of you, then then maybe. Maybe you're, not, maybe you're not being true. We've laughed about this one, too, before. I can't let it go by, though, without mentioning it again. It is the passage of Scripture I always always quote to a dean, whatever dean I might have, at the time that they want to go over student course evaluations. All right? If somebody says, oh, that class wasn't good, I'm like, well, Jesus said, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. <laughs> somebody, yeah. Oh, amen, Ed. <laughs> He really witnessed to that one. <laughs> Feel free to use that. <laughs> but that's, that is the point, because <clears throat> the Spirit is always kind of moving, I believe, in the same direction. The Spirit is moving in the direction of unity, and the Spirit is moving in the direction of liberation. And the Spirit is telling us to be careful, especially amongst those who are vulnerable. And that, that when we can know for sure that we're following the Spirit when we're working with and for unity and when we're caring for those who are most vulnerable. Jesus' brother James will write this as well and he'll say true religion is this, caring for the orphans and the widows. And that, that idea, caring for the orphans and widows and being a God of liberation, the one who's for the Hebrew slaves and not just the um, pharaohs of Egypt, like that, that's speaking to this whole thing that we're talking about today. Where Jesus says, if you want to be great, you'll be a servant. Because as he says elsewhere, that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom of many. So this is what it means. This is is the clear mystery. And it is about as clear as we're ever going to get. That to be Christian is to be like Christ. In years past, I would ask my students, how many of you are Christian? And they would all raise their hands. And then I would ask them, how many are like Christ? And none of them would raise their hands. Now, of course, I understand that, right? Who wants to actually raise your hand when someone says you're like Christ? Like, number one, we're going to talk about humility. (laughs) So we're going to to keep our hands down. Except that to be Christian means to be like Christ. We, We said it a few weeks ago, right? That Jesus isn't just our Savior, He's our Lord. But He's not just our Savior and our Lord. He is also our rabbi. He is our instructor. He's our teacher. He is teaching us the way to be human. He's teaching us the way to live this life. He's given us an example of how to live. And what he says about how you live is that you should follow him. In fact, in some of the Gospels, the word follow is used so consistently to talk about discipleship that it's really used in kind of a technical sense. That to follow is not used in any other way except to follow Christ, meaning to mimic Christ, to, to pattern your life after the life of Christ. And if we pattern our lives after the life of Christ, we'll find ourselves caring for the orphans and the widows, prioritizing the children, making space for those who otherwise might have been left out, Including those that we, especially those that we kind of other in any way. Jesus is making space for them. He's making space for them with his time. He's making space for them in his life. He's making space for them in his kingdom. That's why he brings the child when the disciples try to run the children away. He brings a child, he sets them in the middle, and he says the kingdom of God is like this. Now I have a dear friend who's always quick to say that Jesus wants us to be childlike, not childish. <laughs> right? He doesn't he doesn't mean to be simply to be silly or to be irresponsible or to be naive. That's not what he's saying when he says we're to be childlike. But we are to be honest and hopeful and joyful and expectant, right, of good things. That kind of that constant kind of renewal of this kind of expectation that the future can be better than the present and much better than the past. It's a great way to live, really. We can seek after happiness, but it, you know, happiness is so evasive. It's one of those things that you grab for it, and you never actually get it. It's like trying to hold smoke, right? The tighter your hands get, the less you have. Or, or even sand, right, trying to hold sand. You hold sand, if you want to hold more sand, you have to hold it loosely. And I think that's what life is like. You kind of have to hold life loosely. The, the more you grab it and squeeze it, you're not getting more out of it. You're actually going to get less because you can, you can kind of accumulate things and maybe even experiences. But you'll find true joy. I think you'll find true happiness by living this way kind of a downside up kind of backwards kind of life that prioritizes others and that follows the example of Jesus and that practices servanthood and servitude and humility it really is a good way to live it decenters our ego a bit but when we center too much on ourselves we end up getting a little kind of sick and and we don't realize kind of what we're doing to ourselves by all of that kind of self focus but preferring the other following christ in his example it's a clear mystery a really clear one one that we can embrace one that we can follow. One that we can even do it together and learn from one another. And I'd like to say, as I close, I feel like I know you all. I'm getting to know you better and better over the years, but been through a lot of your homes and we've had coffee together. If we, If that hasn't happened, I'd still be very happy to do that with you. Um, we'll put up a slide later maybe it's called Coffee with Robbie it doesn't have to be coffee it can be something else we don't even have to drink anything we can just be together but this, this this is what I think about you I see you and I'm impressed you're good folks I see you with your families I see you around town some I see you with your friends I hear your stories I know what you're up to And you're doing good things. You you are kind of following Christ. He is your example. And I know it. I know it because it's not typical. It's not the way most people live. But I see it in your lives. And it encourages me. I feel blessed. Blessed to be a part of your lives. And I'm grateful. Grateful that you are here and that we are following Christ together.